With nearly two million people in Greater Dublin, Ireland's capital is by far its biggest city, and it thrives with arts, entertainment, food, and fun. Just taking a walk through Ireland's capital, you can see and experience so much of its charms. And if you know where to look and if you know where to walk, it's even better. That's why we've invited two great Irish guides, Joe Darcy and Kieran O'Hare, to join us in our studios for a guided stroll through Dublin. Joe and Kieran, thanks for being with us. Our Thank pleasure. You. Great to be here. So, Kieran, if you were going to take somebody on a walk through Dublin, where would you start? I think I'd probably start up in Stevens Green, which mm-hmm. is at the south end of Grafton Street, which is a pedestrianized shopping street. And, and Stevens Green is a beautiful, manicured 18th century park. It reminds me of when you get off the platform and suddenly you're at Hogwarts. You know, you yeah. step out of the middle of this busy, packed city into a beautiful, manicured park. Actually, it reminds me of London. Very much so. Probably that's because it was designed in a time when Dublin was actually the second city in the British Empire. Oh, without question. You know, everything from the, the wrought iron fencing around the entire park to the style of landscape architecture inside uh, the park is very, very evocative of those parks in London. And, Joe, when we think of St. Stephen's Green today, it has some connections with uh, Ireland's difficult fight for independence. During the 1916 rebellion on Easter Monday, called the Easter Rebellion, and there was one contingent of Irish rebels were in command of Stephen's Green. Their job was to man Stephen's Green, barricade the streets, and prevent British reinforcements from getting into the city centre. Amazingly, their only experience of warfare, because these were not soldiers, was watching the Pathé News from World War One and where everybody was digging trenches all over the Belgium and France. So they oh. dug trenches in Stephen's Green to hold out. But of course, British Army got up onto the four-story buildings all around oh the Green, no. particularly the Gresham Hotel. They had a clear line of fire. It's like they're digging their own tombs. Yeah, yeah. So they retreated from there into a place called the Royal College of Surgeons, which is just when you come out of Stephen's Green through that gate, around to your left is the Royal College of Surgeons, and you can still see bullet marks in the hole. And those are left there there. as a memorial almost, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bullet holes to remind of the the blood that was lost as Ireland won its independence. That was no easy feat. The more understanding of history you bring to your visit to Dublin, the more you'll enjoy your sightseeing. Today, when I go to St. Stephen's Green, it's, uh, of course, you've got the history, but it's just a festival of, of youth and families and life. People are feeding the ducks in the pond. There's a little theater there, and it's and it's the kickoff point for Grafton Street. Uh, Kieran mentioned Grafton Street. Joe, when you walk down Grafton Street, uh, what are you going to find? You're going to find a, a multitude of small shops as well as the big retail shops. Actually, strange enough, when you come down from Stevens Green, one of the first big shops you see on your left is Disneyland. <laughs> So there's a the your, Disney store. You know, this is the high rent street. <laughs> yeah. And when you have the high rent street, it drives out the local businesses, doesn't yeah. it? And it brings in the... What are you going to see, Karen, when you walk down Grafton Street? Well, I think the first thing that you notice is the street is seething with life. There's wall-to-wall people coming and going in either direction. And, you know, living in Dublin, you're always... If you live there, you're, you're going to run into someone you know in that street. You know, when you do walk down it, you don't see any churches right on the street, but hiding a little bit off the way is a Catholic church. Why would a Catholic church be hiding off the main street in Dublin? Well, St. Teresa's Church right off Grafton Street was uh, one of the first places that it was allowable, I believe, for Roman Catholics to uh, openly worship after the period of time in the 18th century known as the Penal Laws, Mm -hmm. when open practice of Roman Catholicism was officially outlawed by British rulers in Ireland. So that church is right off St. Stephen's Green, and it's very much a an oasis of tranquility in the city as it has been since the 18th century. St. Teresa's Church, it's a beautiful church to dip into, and it is interesting to think that in Ireland, uh, Dublin was uh, sort of uh, London's second city, and uh, it was very not Catholic, 
but when Catholicism was allowed, you could worship as Catholics in Dublin, but keep a low profile. Exactly. So these great churches are tucked away in the back streets. Although they were allowed to openly practice their religion, that wasn't really open. That was in inverted commas. The church still had to be kind of hidden away. Yeah. They weren't allowed to build churches on a main street. That's why it's down that side. So, Joe, you, at the bottom of Grafton Street, you come to a, a very important college, a beautiful college, Trinity College, and originally for the elites, for the uh, Protestant kids, but of course today uh, everybody's welcome. As a traveler, how do you enjoy Trinity College? Well, the best way to visit it is to go in through the front main entrance on a, an area called College Green. When you come out that Grafton Street, just continue uh-huh. on straight over to your right-hand side, and you come out into a beautiful Georgian square. A huge amount of Dublin was rebuilt. Georgian, in, and that's e- like neoclassical. It 18- just screams yeah. British Empire. 18th century. King yeah. George. Dublin yeah. was rebuilt in the 18th century in a uh-huh. Georgian side. We're one of the best Georgian cities in Britain or and Ireland. Trinity yeah. College is sort of like uh, the elite college yeah. for Ireland. Even though the college was founded in 1592, there's nothing left of uh-huh. the original college, it was almost totally rebuilt starting in 1690s and then right through the 18th century. Kieran, my favorite thing when I step through that grand entrance of Trinity is a little table where there are students offering tours. Yeah, that's right. And I used to live right across from that table when I was in college in Trinity, right in Front Square. And there are students known as scholars of the college who've passed a competitive examination to have free tuition at the college. And they give tours of Front Square dressed in the academic gowns that were still common among students until recently. And they are really eloquent fun-loving students giving you a candid look at student life, it's, and it's, uh, it's very inexpensive. It's a great way to get a sense of Trinity College. Absolutely, and a great way to get a sense of the tradition of wit in Dublin that goes back to one of the most famous uh, students at Trinity, Oscar Wilde. Our guides to Dublin on Travel with Rick Steves are Irish-American Kieran O'Hare. He attended Trinity College and is an expert on the Illin Pipes, which he performs with the Celtic trio Open the Door for Three. Joe Darcy provides custom walking tours of Dublin and was recently on the board of Historic Sweeney's Pharmacy, where James Joyce readings are given throughout the week. When we go to Trinity College, of course, you've got to go to the library and see the Book of Kells. It's uh, one of the most important medieval art treasures in Western civilization. When you leave Trinity, what I was really struck by is a bank that used to be the Parliament. And uh, you step in there and you get a little dose of... uh, British rule of Ireland. Uh, Joe, take us into that bank. The the most important building built in Dublin during that rebuilding 18th century was a new bicamera Houses of Parliament. One of the first purpose-built Houses of Parliament, certainly in Europe, if not the world. Took about 40 years to complete between 1740, 1780, and it housed two chambers, the House of Commons and the House of Lords very much along the, the British And we can step into one of those houses to this day. It's yeah. open during banking hours. It's yeah. free, and, and you really get yeah. a sense of that after, rule. After the Act of Union on the 1st of January 1801, we became part of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. The Bank of Ireland, Ireland's first commercial bank, they took over the building, paid for it. The House of Commons had to be put out of use, never to be used as a place of assembly again. But they said nothing about the House of Lords, so the Bank of Ireland has maintained it. And it's a beautiful room. It's mostly open during banking hours. Occasionally there's functions in there, but you'll see a sign outside that it's either open or closed. I stumbled into it just this last year. I never knew about it, and it was great. Now, Joe, I know that you take tours of the bridges of Dublin, and uh, from this uh, Trinity College and the Parliament Building, you can walk basically through Temple Bar. That's the party zone where all the pubs are and all the drinking and so on at night, and all the tourists go there for their clichetic Irish kind of fun. You go through Temple Bar, and you get to the Haypenny Bridge, Tell us about the bridge, the river, and uh, the other bridges that uh, lace north and south Dublin together. Hapenny Bridge was built in 1816, so it's over 200 years ago, and it was Dublin's first pedestrian bridge. 
Amazingly, it uh, replaced a ferry service across the river from the fashionable north side, still fashionable then, to the new party area in Temple Bar. It was a perfectly good, well, it wasn't a perfectly good bridge on either side of the Hapney Bridge, the Halfpenny or Hapney Bridge, but they were muddy and the ladies were going to the theatre land in Temple Bar. They would get their skirts wet and the gentlemen would get the boots muddy. So they took a ferry across the river. But in the early 1800s, the ferries were becoming waterlogged and uh, the ferrymen were given a choice, either get new ferries or Dublin would build a bridge across and the ferries could organise a company to charge a toll across the bridge and the toll was a half penny. Oh, so you get Haypenny. Haypenny Bridge. It was officially, it still is officially called the Dublin Bridge, uh-huh. but it's um, the yeah, half, if, the there's, if there's a postcard of Dublin, one single image, it probably has that beautiful mm-hmm. arcing Haypenny Bridge. Over Interesting the river side bit. It was built by Harlan and Wolfe, the big shipbuilders in Belfast and people who built the Titanic. <laughs> Well, Hey Penny Bridge is still standing. <laughs> still standing. <laughs> this is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking Dublin with two Dublin guides, Kieran O'Hare and Joe Darcy. Kieran, we've seen one side of the river. We've crossed the Hey Penny Bridge, and just to the right, you see a towering statue, and it's by a very important Irishman. And there's a boulevard that leads up the hill from there with his same name. And this, to me, is the way to celebrate. Irish independence. Walk us up O'Connell Street. Well, absolutely. At the foot of O'Connell Street, right off the River Liffey, is a beautiful statue of Daniel O'Connell, known as O'Connell the Liberator, a great Irish uh, attorney, statesman, and advocate for Catholic religious freedom. A magnificent monument to his memory um, there at the foot of O'Connell Street, which used to be called Sackville Street when it was built. As you walk up the street, there's an amazing number of statues. The one that always stands out to me is the statue of James Larkin. Yes, his arms outstretched, um, the great laborer organizer and left-wing leader in Ireland. And that's just to the north of the General Post Office, which was, of course, the very nexus of the 1916 Easter Rising, which was the first sort of military expression of an Irish desire for freedom in so the 20th just century. A, just the big post office of the city, but very important in the Irish independence story. Absolutely. It is. The, it was ground zero for the Rising. And across the street from that used to be a grand statue celebrating Admiral Horatio Hornblower Nelson. Yes, which was blown to smithereens in 1966 by the IRA. Wow. And in its place was erected this spire. It's a sleek stainless steel knife that sticks into the sky. Yes, it was uh, erected originally for the occasion of the millennium, although it uh, was officially, I think it officially went up in 2003, was it, 2004, actually. 2004, (laughs) even. Missed the the, the millennium. Joe, at the top of O'Connell Street, there's a garden with a pool and a statue and a flag. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's, it's one of the most touching places in Dublin to visit. How can we appreciate the Garden of Remembrance? What does it mean to an Irishman? It's a, it's a beautiful, peaceful place. It has a, a water feature in the shape of a crucifix, mm-hmm. uh, which is our nationalism was very Catholic nationalism. And in the tiles on the, the floor of the water feature, there are broken weapons. They're old weapons, spears and arrows and such. Like. They're broken to show that conflict is over. And at the head of the thing, there's a magnificent statue of the Children of Lear, which is one of the stories of, one of the great legends of Ireland, of which there are numerous amounts. And the Children of Lear is in its own way about resurrection. Children of Lear are condemned to be swans for several hundred years, but eventually they come back to life. This remembers the struggle, the people who died, the treasure of Irish independence. Yeah, and rising again. So you have the Easter Rebellion at a profoundly Christian time of the year, Easter, and the Children of Lear represents a resurrection as well from our ancient history. The peace and the success and the and the prosperity of Ireland is something to celebrate, and when we go to Dublin, we can certainly feel that. Kieran O'Hare, Joe Darcy, thanks so much for a walk through Dublin. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. 
Each year, Rick Steves Tour Guides take thousands of free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Europe, one small group at a time. This year, you can choose from more than 40 different vacations in Europe's best destinations, from Ireland to Greece, and practically everywhere in between. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.